want you to open in your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, and we are continuing a series we just kicked off last week where, uh, that's called From Debt to Surplus, and this is a follow-up series of eliminating debt that we preached a couple weeks back. Moving from debt to surplus, we know this, that not only does God want to get debt out of you, he wants to get you out of debt, right? Both. So it's one thing to get out of debt, but it's another thing to get debt out of you. All your bills could get paid, but if you've got an issue on the inside, an addiction to that debt, then you will get, find yourself right back in that situation. So the Lord's at work on the inside of us, and he's speaking to us how to, how to get out of debt, and then not just get to where you're even there, but God says, I want to move you from debt to surplus. And so we're walking through it over these uh, next couple weeks on, on what does God say about this. And we're not just taking it from the approach that you might be able to get from um, some financial advisor. You know, you're just going to Google and, and how do I get my finances in order? There's a lot of great tools and techniques out there, and most of them would be helpful for you. I would encourage you, you probably should do some of those things. Like there's this one word, it's like a cuss word in some families, but it's called budget, Right? And the reason why it's like a cuss word is because when you start using that word with the other person, especially if, if it's, you know, your spouse and you're drawn from the same account, you can get into a big fight real quick, can't you? Some of you guys are like, mm-hmm. Some of you guys are like, I ain't saying nothing, man, because we're still not resolved in that area. Well, nevertheless, uh, that is a helpful tool. But there's also the, the uh, aspect that God wants to be involved in this, and he wants to lead us supernaturally as well. And by the way, it's not either or, it's both and. It's not either or, it's both and. You do need to manage your finances and actually get on a budget and, and live within your means and, and, and plan out your income and your expenses and, and, and so forth. You, you do need to do that on paper. But God says, there's another aspect that I want to be involved in. I want to help you in a way that, that you can't help yourself in. And how many of you guys say, that's the kind of life I want? I want the life where God is involved in. That's the best. So we're going to talk about that, and, and last week we kicked this off, and we talked about the prerequisite to moving from debt to surplus. You can get that message online for free at iTunes, download it, ask a teenager, they'll help you out, they'll get it on your phone for you, teach you how to do all that, but get that message, because we talked about honoring God, that's the prerequisite, and that word honor, it means to weigh heavily upon, to, to put a, a strong emphasis in, and so when it comes to our finances, we need to... Uh, put a strong emphasis on the Lord and weigh heavily into the things of God so that God can weigh heavily into our finances. Isn't that right? Amen. And so go back and, and, and catch up there. Today we're going to talk, I want to talk to you about uh, speaking to the mountain. You've got to speak to the mountain. Words are powerful. Our words create an environment. Words affect the situations that we live in. We know that because look at your relationships People who have good relationships typically speak life-giving words. They're encouraging. They build others up. They see the best in people. They're not tearing them down. They're not criticizing. They're not pointing out the differences and, and, and telling people what their problem is all the time. But people who are life-giving, they see the best in you, man, others will flock around them, and, and they, want to, they want to be around them, and they have a good, healthy relationships, good, healthy relationships. So much of that is because of the words they speak. It's what comes out of them, and it creates this environment. Words are powerful. It reminds me of a story about this guy who had a horse, and then his friend came over and said, can I ride your horse? He said, oh, yeah, no, not a problem. So he jumps up on top of the horse, and, and, the, and the owner of the horse says, but I got to tell you, this is a Christian horse. A Christian horse, huh? 
yeah, I taught him to only respond to Christian sayings. He's like, okay, well, what do you mean? He says, well, if you want to get him to walk, you've got to say, bless the Lord. If you want to get him to run, you got to say, thank you, Jesus. If you want him to stop, you got to say, amen. He's like, all right, all right, I got it, I got it. You know, I've ridden horses my whole life. And so he gets up there and says, this is no Christian horse. No horse can be a Christian. And so he's all, giddy up. Smacks his butt. Nothing happens. Digging the heels in. Come on. Go. Yeah. All this stuff. Nothing's happening. The guy said, see, I told you. He's a Christian horse. And he goes, all right, all right, fine. Bless the Lord. So he starts, you know, galloping around. Someone's galloping, walking, whatever the horses do. Trotting. I don't know. My daughter rides horses. So he's getting going. He's like, all right, I got this. I got this. Um, oh, yeah, how do I get it to run? You know, he's trying to, like, lean in. And, oh, yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That horse starts taking off, and it's, it's running. It's, it's like on a full-on sprint now, and he's enjoying it. But all of a sudden, he looks up ahead of him, and he sees a cliff is coming up. And he's like, whoa, whoa, pulling back on the rein. Stop, stop, quit, turn. You know, he's trying to do all the things he could, and then he remembers it's a Christian horse. So, so finally, he gets right up to the edge. Amen. And the horse just, you know, finally stops and comes, slides to the edge. He looks at it, and he's like, his heart's pounding. He goes, oh, praise the Lord. <clears throat> All right, that, that's a cheesy joke, but nevertheless, you understand the power of words better now, don't you? That when you speak words, things happen. Matthew chapter 12, did I ask you to turn there? Matthew chapter 12 teaches us that broke talk leads to broke living. Broke talk leads to broke living. Uh, abundant talk leads to abundant living. Some of you are like, no, that, that's, that's like new age stuff or something, or that's just power positive confession. Uh, I don't want to talk about that stuff. I don't, I don't know about it. I just, I know what the Bible says, though, and I can come to some conclusions reading it, and so can you. You know, the God, God um, he, he writes this in such a way that we can get it and know what he means. In Matthew chapter 12, he, verse 34 and 35, Jesus is talking, and he says, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in the heart comes out of your mouth is what he's saying, right? So whatever you think about, whatever you dwell upon, whatever you're meditating, whatever you believe, whatever has been put in there, it's going to overflow out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Sometimes you'll say something, you're like, oh, where'd that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from your heart. How'd that get in there? You put it in there somehow, right? And you put in enough of it to where it came out. And, and so that means that when you slam your finger in the door and, uh, you know, that one word comes out, praise the Lord, that's what I meant, praise God, that, that's because you filled your heart with that. But if something else comes out at that moment, maybe you filled your heart with that too. But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But that's not where he stops because that's, that, that's not just the broke talk leads to, to broke living. Look at what he says in the very next portion. He says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. So remember, he's talking about the heart and the words. And then he goes on and he says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart, he brings forth things, good things, with his words. This is what Jesus is saying. Saying you, out of the abundance of your heart, words come out. And he says, what's in your heart brings forth things. It brings forth an environment, an atmosphere. It brings forth the, the, the feel in the room. It brings forth the direction and the decisions that you make. Now, of course, uh, you, your heart out of, out of your heart 
the things you believe, the things you think about lead to your actions as well. But your words are an indicator of what's in the heart. And when we're talking about God bringing us from debt to surplus, we've got to catch God's ways. We've got to catch God's uh, processes because they're not like man's processes. Because man would just simply say, well, you know, let's just sit down and look at the numbers. And, and you need to do that. But God says, but, but let's sit down and look at what's in your heart. And let's listen to what you're saying. Because you can start to turn some things around if you get the right things in your heart to where you believe them. And, and you begin to bring them forth from your mouth. This is what God is saying. This is the, you look at the environment you live in. And, and so much of that is created by your speech. And I don't just mean that you said it and, it and poof, it popped into it. But I mean, you're creating an environment for belief and expectation and, and, and experience and decisions that are made by words that are coming out of your mouth. And so God is saying to us here, I want to be involved in turning this around and I'm going to give you a key. It's you've got to speak to this mountain. You've got to get the good in your heart, the good things. When we think of good things and evil, don't think of evil just as uh, immorality, like you bring forth immoral stuff. Uh, evil would be anything of missing God's mark. It would be less than God's uh, plan and less than his will taking place, uh, something that would be against God's will even. Well, that's important to know because out of our heart, out of, through our mouth, we can bring forth that which is God's will or that which isn't God's will. He's saying you've got to get that in alignment. You've got to get that in alignment. Why is that? Remember in our series, Words That Change Everything, we taught this a couple months back. We saw that God uses his words to make things happen here on earth. And we, as God's image bearers here on earth, he's given us authority, and we're to do it in the very similar way that God has. That when he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, that was him transferring authority, God-given authority to man. And he said, you are created in my likeness and in my image, so act like me. What you see me do, you do. How I approach things, you approach things. How I speak about them, you speak about them. What I expect, you expect. And so he's given us this authority. We need to use it to bring, about, to bring forth God's plan in our life, his will in our life. We, we align ourselves with that. Yes, our actions, and yes, our words. Both of them need to be in agreement with God's word. You see, um, we have to choose to believe what God says. Have you ever heard somebody say this? If God is so good, then why does he allow all the suffering in this world? Why, if God is really God and he's really so powerful, if he's so good, why doesn't he just solve the poverty issue right away? Typically, somebody who says that is somebody who is considered an outsider, right? They, they're, they're looking at reasons why they don't really believe in God. Because to them, it doesn't make sense that if God was real, why would he allow that? But then you, you also hear people who would consider themselves insiders with God, inside the family of God relationship. And they'll say things like this, you know, God doesn't care about your financial provision. God doesn't care about if you succeed financially, that's not important. God's not going to help you. He doesn't want everybody to do well financially or to prosper. They'll say things like that. Isn't that kind of crazy? Which is it? One person saying that, that, why doesn't God fix all the poverty? And the other person saying, well, God doesn't care about the poverty. What, what's the deal here? Well, well, neither one has a good understanding of who God is or what he has said. 
Neither one of them have a good grasp of who God is or what he said. You know, throughout the scripture, he tells us and he reveals his character, what he's like and what he wants. And we have to choose to believe God and what he said. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, it says this, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, right? What does he want you to choose? Life, Life, that both you and your descendants may live. Now, here's the deal. God says, I'm setting before you the option of life and death, blessing and cursing. What he doesn't say is, some of you are just going to end up getting life while some get death. What he's not saying is, I don't care what you choose. What he's not saying is, I've already determined it for you, which one you get and which one the other person gets. What he's saying is, I am setting before you the option to choose freely. But here is my recommendation. (laughs) Choose life, that it might go well with you and your family, that you might live. You see, God does give the opportunity for the blessings, the cursings. He does give the opportunity for the provision or the poverty. He does give opportunity for the life or the death. But he wants us to choose the good. He wants us to choose the life. And when we choose to go with God and go with God's ways, we're choosing the life. And when we choose to align ourselves with his word and his will, we're choosing the blessing. Some people, out of not making a choice, default to the, to the death, to the cursing. They say, well, I don't want to decide on which one to do. Well, you're going you're gonna to get the way of the world, and you're going to get treated like the way of the world. But God is telling us, choose. Choose life. Choose life. Throughout the scripture, we see what God's heart is towards his people. In the De- book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, he's talking to his chosen people. Did you know you're chosen by God? You might feel like you got drugged to church today, but I'm telling you, even if you were drugged to church today, it's because God is at work choosing you. He's going after you. So, you know, sometimes uh, people grow, grow up and they have the testimony, I was a drug baby. What do you mean? Mama drugged me to church every week, right? <laughs> Whatever. Got, you got there, right? I had no reason to be here today in the sense of my life trajectory was not aiming to this point. But I had a friend who had a praying grandma who prayed us into the kingdom of God. My parents, my family, they didn't take us to church growing up. They don't go to church now. And all my buddies weren't like loving Jesus. We were not loving Jesus. And, and, uh, but praying grandma got a hold of me, and I kept going to church with him. And finally, the word of God was sown on the inside to where I realized, I, I don't want death. I want life. And so when I was 17 years old, I gave my life to the Lord and and chose that life. God, though, he's chosen us. Now listen to what he spoke to his chosen people in Deuteronomy 8. In verse 7 through 10, it says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey a land in which you will eat bread, everybody say this out loud, without scarcity in which you will lack nothing. What kind of land is this? A land without scarcity in which you will lack nothing. This is God bringing in his people into the promised land. He goes on to say, it's a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. You shall eat and be full 
and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. That's why you should pray after you eat, not just before. He says you eat and then bless him. No, that's not really why. But he does say this, you're going to eat and be full, and then you bless the Lord for all that he's given you, the land he's giving you. But catch this, that he is speaking to his, his people who he brought out of Egypt, out of bondage. And they're on the way through the wilderness to the promised land. They're going to make it to the promised land. Some people would say, well, yeah, you know what? And here we are in the New Testament, and heaven is our promised land. Heaven is not the, the promised land for us. The promised land in the Old Testament is not a type or shadow of heaven. It's a type and shadow of inheriting the promises of God on earth. When they got into the promised land, they still had enemies they had to fight. If you die and you wake up, you know, like, and you see your enemies, I'm going to suggest you're in the wrong place. <laughs> the heaven is going to be way better, and yes, all the plan of God is going to be fulfilled and, and so forth. We believe it will be better than it can ever be here on earth, but yet... The promises of God are yes and amen for us here. So our opportunity is to go after everything that God has for us here, that to fulfill his plan, to experience his presence, his goodness. Throughout the scripture, you see what is God's heart in taking care of his people. Now, that's just one scripture out of many. In fact, if you just stay in the book of Deuteronomy over and over, you'll see God bringing his people into a place of provision. This is important, and there's so much more you can find. I can't do all your Bible study for you, okay, people? You're going to have to do it yourself. But this is what the Scripture says. This, when you read these things, you start to get a different glimpse of what God is like and how he is. In the New Testament, there's a Scripture in 2 Corinthians 9.8. Some people might think, well, that's just the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we just need to suffer and go without, you know, and just maybe one day... We'll have enough to, to pay for our funeral or something. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, uh, I mean, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, says this, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. L- let me say that again, because I'm going to need some audience participation here. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Say you. you. Turn to the person next to you and say You. Now cross your eyes and look at yourself and say, me. Me. God is able to make all grace abound toward me. All grace abound towards me so, so that me, always having all sufficiency in all things. How often? Always. So when, what kind of time does that leave out? If it's always, when is that? Is it in the morning? Is it in the evening? Always, right? <clears throat> Always having all sufficiency in most things. Some things. It's all things, right? Okay, so we got to get this in our heart right here. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's on the inside comes out. The good treasure, God's word is like treasure to us. In fact, Proverbs says it's more valuable than silver and gold. You buy the truth, you sell it not. You get that treasure and you get it in your heart. And you, you continue to store it up like uh, was shared earlier, the heaps. You heap it up on the inside to where it starts to overflow. And so at all times, God is able to make all grace abound towards me. So that in every area of life, 
What, what, what thing are you facing? What is a thing? When that bill comes, that thing, when that opportunity comes, that's a thing. And God, you, you have said that you're able to make all grace abound towards me. Now, I want to encourage you. There's more to this story than verse 8. Look at why he's saying that. Look at what comes before. Look at what comes after it. Read that. Dig in. Lord, show me how to tap into this. But he says, you'll have all sufficiency in all things that you'd have an abundance. Everybody say abundance. Abundance. Is abundance uh, different than scarcity? Absolutely. What has God said? What did he say in the Old Testament? A land without scarcity. What's he saying right here? It's with abundance. You'll have an abundance for every good work. Every good work, everything that, that, that God brings your way. Now, I do say that God brings your way. And uh, some people would say, well, that, you know, does he, some people will take, the, take advantage of this and just go waste it and spend it or try to do all this other stuff. Listen, they can do whatever they want. You just make sure you're on track with God. You make sure you're being led by the Spirit. You're in the Word and that you're asking God, lead me, guide me. Is this the opportunity that comes from you? Should I go after this? Should I do this? You seek Him. But when the opportunity comes, when the good work comes, you'll have everything you need. Why is that? Because God is able and He makes the grace abound towards you. And so we've got to get that in our heart to where it overflows and we bring that forth in our life. We bring it forth with the words that we speak. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, the words we speak are powerful. We release our faith through the words we speak. But what about when I don't have it in the heart yet, and and what do I do there? Well, here's the the great thing is we have the ability to put it in reverse a little bit here. So what do we do? We take the word of God. If you're not full on the inside yet, and that's not what's flowing out of you, and you're not really believing those things yet, how do you know, by the way, what you believe? It's what comes out of your mouth. And so we, we take the word of God and we begin to meditate on it and we find these scriptures. And, and like I said, don't, let, don't rely on me to do all your studying for you. There's so much more. You find the scriptures and you, you see what God says. And then you begin to speak those things out and you meditate on them. You repeat them back to yourself. You memorize them and to, to the point that it, it's like, you know, the, the, the karate kid, karate kid, wax on, wax off, Right? Paint the fence or whatever you do, you know. No, this is paint the fence. This is wax on, this is wax off. He's like, what am I doing here? You have me doing this all day long. What is this, what is this doing? It's not preparing me for karate. And then all of a sudden, what was his name? Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi. He strikes at him. He goes, wax on. And immediately, it's on the inside. It just comes out of him, right? He says, paint the fence or whatever. Like, like all of a sudden, he knows karate. And it's on the inside of him. Because he's been practicing this stuff, and he didn't even realize it, but then when he needed it, it came out. That's, that's everything you need to know about being a Christian, I learned from Karate Kid. Maybe not. But you understand the point is that he's, you're practicing ahead of time so that when you need it down the road. Now, I said put it in reverse because... Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So we start speaking out the Word of God even before we really are convinced about it. But what are we doing? We're hearing it, and we're, we're retraining our mind. We're renewing our mind, cleansing our mind here with the Word of God. We're washing it to where we get it on the inside. No, this is what God says about me. This is my situation, and my situation is different. My situation is different than the world's. My situation is different because I have God on my side. And so we take this, this, His Word there, and we fill our hearts with it. 
and we speak to the mountain. Here's what, what we do, and, and some of you guys might realize that this can apply in any area of your life, so it's not just finances, but if we are talking finances, for example, you t- you'd want to set a goal in one of these areas. Maybe it's with your savings, maybe it's with your giving, maybe it's with your debt, maybe it's all three, but you set a goal. Let's talk about, uh, about debt for just a second. Maybe if you have debt, you set a goal. I, I, I have my student loan. Well, it's typically, if you pay you know, the minimum amount on a student loan, you'll probably have it paid off by the time you're 104 years old. So is that true? Right? That's true. And so, so that's just the normal process. But you set the, a goal there and say, you know what? I'm going to get this paid off in half the time or in 10 years or five years or two years or whatever. You set that goal. And what do you do? You find out what does God say about debt? And you start going through the scripture, and you find out what does God say about helping with provision. And you go through the scripture. That's step number one. Some of you guys should be writing this down, especially if you got debt. Number two, you come into agreement with your words. My words will come into agreement with what God's word says. And I'm not going to go and say, I can't. It's too hard. I'm never going to make it. I'm not going to be able to do it. Cut all that stuff out. Cut all that stuff out. You just start speaking the word of God, even if you look dumb. You speak the word of God. I'd rather be believing God looking dumb than not believing God and still looking dumb. All right? Some of you guys are like, I'd rather just not look dumb. Well, whatever. Number three, align your actions with your words of faith. Align your actions with your words of faith. We're teaching you how supernatural living right here. Is that all there is to it? Kind of. I mean, there's not a whole lot more to it than other, believe, other than believing God and doing what he says. But you align your actions with your words of faith. What do I mean by that? Man, if you're believing God to pay off debt, guess what? When you get paid, don't buy a new pair of shoes. Align your... Some of you ladies are like, what? Some of you guys are like, what? <laughs> I know some of you guys have more shoes than the ladies. And I agree with that. I believe in that. But nevertheless, do it out of your abundance, not in the midst of debt. So you get paid. You know what you do? You pay off, you start paying that extra towards the debt. You get a a little extra job over here, you know what you do? Thank you, Lord God, that you provide and and that it's your will that I don't owe no man nothing but to love him, so I'm paying this off. Your tax return, you get it back, you know, you you pay towards your debt. Now, we understand the principle is give God first, but I'm talking about with this extra. You start praying uh, praying that God would provide other income streams. You start, you take a second job, you rent out your couch, you do whatever it takes. Align your actions with your words of faith. Are you expecting God to do this? Then you also do what, what you, you're told to do, what you need to do. Stop spending more than what comes in. You st- it's basic stuff. Grandma and Grandpa used to know this stuff, but somewhere along the lines, we, we, we don't always get it anymore. We think that we just have to have stuff now. But nevertheless, there was a faithful generation a few generations back who wasn't straddled with all this debt. Apply some of those principles. But really, what does the word of God say? Now you say the same thing, and then you live accordingly. You set those goals, and you start to watch God show up. And and everything that comes your way, you give him thanks for it. It's very simple and practical, but you've got to determine to do this because we have an adversary, the devil. And Jesus said he's a thief. And the thief doesn't come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. He never comes to check in and see how you're doing or see what's for dinner. He always comes to take away from what God is giving you. But here's the deal. He doesn't have the authority to do it here on earth. He has no delegated authority from God on earth. He can't come and steal your wallet. You know, the man pat, like, where's my, where's my wallet? 
the devil took it from me. No, the devil didn't take your wallet. It's in your other pair of pants. Like, he, he can't come and steal your money like that. But you know what he does? He comes and he, he, he lies to us and he deceives us and gets us to where we believe his lies and his deception. And we agree with him. And then he hijacks our words so that we start speaking it out. Because that gets stored up on the inside of our heart and we bring forth that evil through our words. This is what Jesus said. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. Good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. Don't agree with evil. Store up the good on the inside. The devil is a, a liar. In fact, Jesus said he's the father of lies in, in John eight forty four, He tries to get us to, to be convinced we're never going to make it. We're always going to be in debt. We're always going to be broke. We're never going to get out of this hole. We're never going to be a blessing. We're never going to change things. We're never going to be able to have a house. Our kids are never going to be able to go to college. I'm never going to be able to have a good job. I'm never going to be able to go on a mission trip or to send somebody. I'm never going to be able to do that. He tries to get us to, to convince of that stuff. And, and, and on the inside, it's like one of those songs that, that keep you know, repeating, like those Taylor Swift songs that you hear in the store, and then all of a sudden you're walking around like, the player's going to play, you know, and you're like, I'm a grown man, and I'm singing Taylor Swift in my head, and I, I hate, I don't even know why. But nevertheless, that song is stuck on the inside. My kids sometimes would turn on the radio, I'm like, don't, don't not play that song. Not because, you know, I'm against whoever it is, but I, there's just a couple songs that you just hear it, and you can't get it out of your mind. You know what I'm saying? What's one of those songs? What's one of them? Yeah, yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. He's like, don't sing it. But what is it, Lydia? What's one of those songs? What? Blank space? See, good. I've erased it from my mind. I've got a blank space right there. Oh, wait, now I know. I know it. It's in my head, and I'm not going to sing it. You know, there's just songs like that. Well, the devil tries to put these, these, these other songs of, of lack, unbelief, poverty, failure in our, in our minds, and, and uh, you got to sing a new song. you got to get a new song on the inside. you got to get, what, what's the Word of God say? What is it? And you start meditating and dwelling on that until you become convinced of that. And I don't care what everybody else is singing around you. I'm singing a different song on the inside here. My future is bright, you know, uh, that I... Got to wear shades. Some of you old people are like, I remember that one. No. I know, I know. Stop with the joke. Stick to the word. Um, but here's the deal. You got to refuse to sing those songs. You got to refuse to agree with the enemy and, and uh, give him authority through you. You can't, let, you can't let him rob from you that way. Jesus said in, Mark, in Luke 10, 19, I give you authority to trample scorpion, on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And that's one of the ways he comes in to devour you. And so you've got to take the authority you have. He says, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. When you trample, trample, not you're going to survive the attack of, but he says, get aggressive, be on the offense. And you go after, when that enemy is coming against you and your kids, what do you do? You go after the enemy. You will not have any place here. When he goes after your finances, you got to take the authority to trample. No, this is what the word says. My God's able to make all grace abound towards me. When he goes after your health, you know what? You don't just try to survive, you trample. We got to get aggressive. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. 
It's not handed to you. God didn't say, I'm setting before you good and evil, so let me hand you good. He said, you've got to choose it. You've got to go after it. It's easy to put it on autopilot, isn't it? And just try to coast through Christianity and show up every so often and hope that God does some good things and try to endure when the bad things happen. But he's saying, no, I'm giving you a choice. Go after it. Resist the enemy. Trample him. Amen? Speak to your mountain. In fact, in Mark chapter 11, verse 23 through 24, he said, For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. You see the power of releasing words of faith that cause things that otherwise would be impossible for you to happen. And this is God's process. It's his ways. And so he's saying to us today, maybe you have a financial mountain. It could be a debt, a deficit. It could be you're trying to save for a business venture or you need uh, an infusion of cash for, for this, new, you know, this new product you're going to launch or whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. It's something that's bigger than you. But when all of a sudden you get steady and stable and grounded in, in your faith and you release those words of faith, Jesus is saying, when you say it and you don't doubt in your heart, you're going to co- command this mountain to be uprooted right here, cast into the sea. No mountain will be able to stand before you. No mountain will be able to stand before you. That's the kind of living that God is calling us up to. That's the kind of living that I, I want to walk out. That's the kind of living he's calling our church to. Right there, that mountain-moving faith. 